I'll read Galatians 4, verses 12 through 20. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial was in my flesh. You did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing that you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labored in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and change my tone, for I have doubts about you. This is God's Word. Please have a seat. Well, it's good to have you all here this morning. We're continuing our series in Galatians. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 to 20 this morning, and I'd like to pray before we begin. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for not only is it true, and not only is it divinely given, it is our life, and it is from your word that we know everything that we know of you, of your son, of your spirit, and it's where we genuinely know who we are. And it is there that we learn who we are to be and what we will become. And so I would ask for the ability to be clear this morning, to be truthful, and that these words might change who we are and how we think. To the glory of Christ we pray. Amen. The text that we're going to look at this morning is uh, probably the most poignant and heartfelt passage in, in the whole book of uh, Galatians. Paul kind of lays himself bare. A lot of preachers, a lot of teachers, a lot of people up front don't want to talk about their own faults and they don't want to talk about their own weaknesses, but Paul doesn't share that problem. He, he's worried about his friends that he cares for, and he's not just worried a little bit, he's worried a lot. If, if you're interested in reading about one of the journeys that Paul took through this region, you can read Acts chapter 13 and 14, and, and it gives us a picture there of of the hardships and the sufferings and the hostilities that Paul went through to ultimately give the gospel to these people in Galatia, where we now call Turkey. And these people mattered to Paul a great deal. And they were hearing a false message from people who were very compelling. And they were on the slippery slope of uh, believing that message. And, 
And Paul is concerned for his friends. And so we'll look at that message in a little greater detail this morning. I mean, that message by now, if you've been with us for any length of time, know that you, the message that these people were giving to Paul's friends was that they needed to do things in order to have a relationship with God. That in essence, they needed to become Jewish in order to have a relationship with God. And, and, and so the message included lies and it included flattery. And it included deception, and as we're going to find this morning, it, it included direct attacks on the person of Paul himself. So if you'll look with me at verse 12 of chapter 4, I'm going to reread 12 to 14, I'm sorry, 15 at this point, and just kind of give you an idea of how it was, at least in part, how Paul came to these people originally, and, and what their relationship was like at the beginning. In verse 12, he says, Brothers, I entreat you, because become as I am, for I have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you, you did not seem to scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God or a messenger from God, and, and you received me as Christ Jesus himself. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and, and given them to me. What's, what's going on is Paul's question. When, when I first came to you, I came because I had some sort of bodily ailment. Now, now we got to remember the relationship here. Because the people of Galatia were Gentiles. They were pagans, meaning they went to foreign temples and worshipped all kinds of different gods, and they had no awareness of the God of Israel, the one true God of the Bible. And, and Paul shows up in their region, and he began to preach, but, but he was a sick man. But, but they took him in as a stranger. They took care of him, Without complaining, without whining, without expecting anything back or anything in return or payment for their hospitality or their care. And, and quite frankly, when I read about that, I was, I was humbled because I thought, how do I... Greet strangers. How would I take care of somebody I didn't know and who was going to be a burden? Who was going to cost me something? Who was going to take a bed in my house and who needed my care? But I, would I? 
treat them as if they were Christ himself? You see, I, I want us to see the relationship Paul has with these people. They did all these things for Paul, expecting nothing in return, and he gave them the gospel. He, he goes so far as to say, if it had been possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now, it's from this one verse that people assume that Paul had a problem with his eyesight. And I understand why people think that. It, that may have been the case. It may not have been the case. It may have been from the stonings uh, being stoned outside the city and, and beatings that he received on his way to Galatia. We don't know. But, but he says, you cared for me so greatly that if it had been possible, you would have given me from your own body to make me well. But then he says, what then has become of your blessedness? Something has happened. Something that has been said to you that has changed your opinion of me. Not my reputation so much, but that relationship that we once had is now broken. Because of what these people are saying about the Lord Jesus Christ and how you have a relationship with God through him. You can understand why Paul is, is tense to say to speak, you know, if, if you had that kind of relationship with a group of people and all of a sudden, and we know when it happens, that relationship is broken. And there's a barrier that stands between you and those people. It, it hurts, it makes you angry, you don't understand, you're tense, you want to make it better, but in this case it's all because the truth of what Paul has taught these people has been called into question. And so Paul is, is upset. And so we need to look at what these people are saying. So let me, uh, let me give you an example. And, and a big part of what I'm going to say is absolutely true of everybody in this room. Everybody in this room is above average. I mean, you're sharp. You're intelligent. You're, you're pretty good looking. You are here today because the world means less to you than it means to others. And you're discerning and and you have a grasp on truth to a certain extent, you see. But I'm here to tell you that because of your goodness and because of your sharpness and because you're above average, you can have a more significant relationship with God and you have the capability within yourself to do that. There are things that you can do 
to establish that relationship with God. And I am here to tell you what those things are. There's not a whole lot of them. Five, six, seven things that if you do these correctly, you will have a more complete, more fulfilled relationship with God. And, and quite frankly, I'm glad I'm here to help you. Now see, most of everything that I said was true. You're sharp. You're above average. You're discerning. You're more separated from the world than the rest. The, where everything started to fall apart was when I said, I have information and knowledge that I can teach you about what you should do in order to have a relationship with God and a more complete and full and deeper relationship with God. That's, that's problematic. But you know what happens? We kind of don't mind hearing the truth about ourselves. You know, it's, it's, it's smooth, and you know I am above average. I am slightly more separated from the world than most people, and, and I've got a good start and a good handle on truth, and, and I am glad that you are here to teach me what I can do. Because, you know, when I think about it, I have a lot to contribute. Really. I am a little bit sharper than most people. I am maybe a little bit better looking and, and a little more discerning. And, and I, I think I could add something to the equation. It, it can be subtle, can it? Really. Really and truly. And, and that truth mixed with lie can be compelling. And we start to believe things about ourselves that, that we really shouldn't believe about ourselves. Not the part that's true. Not the part that says I'm above average and, and all the rest of it. But, but the part that I can do something to bring me into a relationship with God. This is... This is what these people's message look like. Look with me at verse 17. Paul is speaking to his friends, and he's talking about these people, and he said, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you will make much of them. In other words, these people are having a conversation with you just like I just had with you. They're making much of you. Flattery on a, you know, not, not really gross flattery. You're all beautiful. You're all brilliant. No, not that kind of thing. But just subtle, true things about you that you don't mind hearing, you see. They're making much of you but for no good purpose. What they want to do is shut you out from the truth so that you will make much of them. Now, let me tell you how that works, see? Because if man brings something to the table in his relationship with God, in other words, if there's a system out there 
of do's and don'ts that brings you into relationship with God, here's what you need. You need, number one, a system or a group or an institution that controls telling you what those things are. And in that institution or system or church or group or whatever else it is, you need leadership that are the communicators of those things and also the mentors and also the mediators of those things who are constantly telling you you're on the right track, you're doing the right stuff, or you're falling a little bit short over here. Keep coming back on Wednesday and Thursday night and we'll, we'll tidy you up a little bit to make sure that you're on the straight and narrow. And, and so what happens is the institution, the group, the system, and the leadership all need to be made a lot of, right? Because they're the ones who have become the purveyors of truth to you about how you have a relationship with God. But what they want to do is draw you away from the truth and get you into their camp so that they can do that and you consequently have to make a big deal about them. Now, this afternoon, give five minutes of thought to that and see if that's not how these systems, groups, organizations, churches, people have to work. It has to work that way and that's what Paul is saying here. They have no good purpose. They actually want to shut you out from the truth and they want to make a big deal about themselves because you have to because they become the purveyors of truth. They're the ones who tell you when you fall short and they're the ones that are telling you when you are excelling. And Paul up to this point has said this is a lie and it is a delusion and it is straight from the pit of hell. And then look at verse 18. It's, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you. What is he talking about? Well, I think he's saying a couple of things. I think it is fine for me to tell you that you guys are all above average. It's true that you're sharper, that you're further away from the world than the rest of the world, and that's a good thing, et cetera, et cetera. I also think that Paul here is saying, when I was with you the first time, you made much of me. You took care of me. You took care of my needs. When I was a burden to you, you expected nothing in return, and that was great. And you used to think much of me even when I wasn't around, but something has changed. And, and then in verse 19 and 20, Paul says, My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. He's not just confused. It's not that English word just perplexion. He's challenged. He's in angst. On the verge of anger. 
at a loss, if you will. And, and the other thing that verse 19 gives us is unfortunately not great news because it says, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. You know, we were raised, most of us in the church, to think we came to faith in Christ and that relationship with God began and, and that was kind of the beginning and the end. <laughs> and we go to church and we learn a little bit more and all that kind of stuff, but, but Paul is giving us the picture that childbirth goes on and on and on and on until Christ is complete in his people. We'd like it to be a one and done, wouldn't we? But, but it's not that way. It's filled with challenges and its growth and its maturity and, and the pain seems to continue. And Paul is, is saying this here that I am again in the anguish of childbirth with you until Christ is formed in you completely. And quite frankly, dear brothers and sisters, that won't happen until the end of time. We won't be complete in Christ, and that growth will continue. And so here's the tension, and here's the angst, and, and here's the challenge. And this is the threat to these people. By the way, they make it out, if you want to know the end of the story. But the question is, will we, you see? Look with me at verse 16, which which we skipped as we went through. I Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? That's the question. You see, these people who came in with these lies and this flattery were so antagonistic to Paul that they painted a picture of him as an enemy. And Paul was even asking the question of his friends, where is your blessedness now? That which I appreciated at the beginning of our relationship seems to have been gone, and, and the only possible way that that is true is that these people have told lies not only of my message, but of me. And you are beginning to think of me as an enemy because I told you the truth. I mean, what kind of things would they have said? We don't know for sure. They, they would have said things like, Paul gave you truth up to a point, but if he really cared, he would have given you the truth that we are giving you now. And that is you can do something to have a relationship with God. We know Paul's a good guy. We know that he took money to the poor in Jerusalem. But where is he for you now? You guys have needs and persecution is coming to your door. Where is Paul? We're here now. We're here to give you what we can all the time trying to lure them into their trap, you see. If Paul cared, he would, he would be here for you now. 
And the people said, yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, we are a fickle lot, aren't we? Yeah, well, I mean, Paul was good yesterday, but where is he today? But they attacked his message, the truth. And and this is what I'm going to make the crux of the matter in this text. Paul came to them with the unadulterated truth of God, and these people came with a lie. And the lie has to destroy the truth in order for it to gain a foothold. I mean, it's just plain and simple. It's plain and simple. So they have to attack the messenger, and they have to attack his message. Plain and simple. And so that's what was happening in these churches in Galatia, and and nothing is new under the sun. And truth is is a fickle, or seems like a very fickle thing in our day and age, because... And it was true in the Galatians era, and it's been true every day between then and now. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and never the twain shall meet. But the Apostle Paul claimed an absolute truth, a truth that went beyond opinion. It went to the very source, which is God himself. And he said, this is what God has to say on the subject. And so what happens is people who want to say that Paul is an enemy is they have to attack the truth. But they do it in very subtle ways, very subtle ways, by flattery, telling you how wonderful you are, and by offering you a little bit more new information that will send you to hell. That's plain, that's simple. And in the process, they tried to make Paul and truth the enemy. Well, friends, I don't mean to be speaking to us, but it is a reminder that truth matters. And not what you think is truth, and what you think is truth, or what I think is truth, but what God says is truth. You see, that is what matters. And so the question becomes, what made Paul an enemy? Because all he did was speak the truth. So we need to know what the truth is. Now my answers to that question, how do we know truth, are not going to be terribly surprising to you. But there is some application here that I think is very, very, very important because truth very seldom carries flattery along with it. Because truth is hard most of the time. Most of the time, truth tells mankind when he's wrong and calls mankind to repent and to change the direction that he's headed. And we don't like that. Truth says things like, you are not good enough to do anything 
to please God or to bring you into relationship with God. And we don't want to hear that. We would rather hear, I've got enough going on that God should be pleased with what I can bring to the table. Instead, truth says, no, you're not good enough to do anything to please me. My son is the only thing that is good enough to please me. You see, the world claims right now to be motivated by love. It just cracks me up. I was watching NFL football yesterday. On the back of everybody's helmet, what did it say? I can't remember how it said it. What's that? Yeah, be love. I'm going, what in the world? What in the world does that mean? Half you guys have been in jail. I still like watching you play football, but you don't even have a concept of what love is. You see, the Bible says love is God sending his son to die. That's not easy. That's an entirely different method of understanding what love is. And so how do we know truth? It is really and truly basic. And that is that every word should be measured against what the Bible has to say. Plain and simple. And what I mean by that is that means every leader, every system, every institution, every church should be measured by whether or not what they say can be demonstrated in God's word because it is true and it alone is true. But it goes way beyond that, you see, because you're not going to know if what I'm saying is true according to scripture unless you know the scriptures. You have to know the scriptures because let's say 10% of you respect me. And, I, and I, you know, I'm being serious. If 10 of you respect me enough to say that what Dave says about the Bible is true, but you don't know if the Bible says that it's true and you're only taking my word for it, you're wrong. Make sure that what I say or anybody that you respect says is true according to the scriptures. The Bible is our ultimate and only measure of truth, and we need to know it personally. Now, this situation is a great situation to start with. But find out if what comes out of this pulpit is true for yourselves. The biggest danger in this world is going to a Christian bookstore. We don't have any idea if what these guys, oh no, they're a great personality, a spectacular speaker. They've sold millions of books, but we won't know if what they're saying is true unless we know this book. Okay, Because the world then and the world now wants to make this book an enemy. Because it is true, 
just like it tried to make Paul an enemy 2,000 years ago because he spoke truth. And so Paul was perplexed. He wasn't surprised. Now the temptation, and I close with this, the temptation is to say, I could never be like those stupid Galatians because I couldn't, I couldn't slip that far that fast. But we need to remember at the very beginning of this book, the apostle Peter and Barnabas, Paul's traveling companion, was tempted to be swept away by this lie. That quick, that easy, that simple. Because for an instant, they were not. But in that instant, they took their eyes off truth. You see, Paul never spoke without demonstrating everything he said from Scripture, from God's Word. And that is the most important thing. But we live in a world that wants to make this book and speakers of this book, speakers of truth, the enemy. It's really that simple. And that's what Paul was fighting. That was what was at stake, the very truth of the gospel. So let me pray. Father in heaven, um, we, we endeavor, we endeavor to be a place that exalts your truth and holds it up and, in, and, and endeavors to live under it. And I pray that we would. And I pray that we would individually and corporately make your word the measure of truth. We don't make it truth but we need to put ourselves under its authority. That will make us unpopular. That will make us the enemy of the world. People will not want to believe because the message is hard. That we don't bring anything to the table, that we cannot earn your favor, that only your son has done that. But we pray that we would stick to truth, to the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.